What does it mean to touch an object? What does it mean to eat one? Is there a relationship between what we touch and what we eat? How do material properties affect not only our diets and our brains, but also the surface of our bodies, our skin? I have been studying the phenomenology of food, our physical relationships with what we eat. This episode of Car features an excerpt from this study and focuses on softness. How soft foods look, how they are made, how they move, and what emotions they may or may not stir within us. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the And I thought a lot about ice cream and soft foods like bread and dough. I thought about them as visceral products of technology, technology that had made them softer and more uniform, filtered out inconsistencies. The ultra-white, soft ice cream dispensed from vans has an artificial yet deeply satisfying physicality. Ice cream had always been a product of storage, of long, deep freezes. Before electronic refrigeration, ice cream was actually buried in insulated underground pits, made in cold winters and preserved until needed in summer. By the 20th century, traditional ice cream could be refrozen and rethawed, hardening and softening as and when it was required to do so. Modern, soft ice cream, bought from vans, is temporised matter, more akin to the resonating afterglow of a camera flash or slowly dissipating smoke. It's fragile and fleeting. The ice cream is stored inside a dispensing machine in the form of a heavily pasteurised condensed liquid or powder. When an order is placed and the power turned on, the liquid undergoes a dramatic transformation that lasts just a few seconds. It is propelled through a liquid or air-cooled tube before being violently inflated by an air pump and emerging from the spigot below. The soft ice cream remains firm, moulded in the corrugated form of the spout, before gradually sagging as it both melts and deflates. The favourite of young and old alike, the smooth, flavour-rich cream heaped and overflowing, delicious and refreshing. It's an entropic process. The object itself is evidence of the way in which it gushes from the machine. The capturing of a moment of mechanical transformation that is initially firm, but is actually dishesive. It soon degrades and fails. Look, ice cream still the top favourite. Try some and thrill to the ice cream taste. Yep, it's real good. Of course, ice cream had always been soft. It always sat amongst that small collection of foods that could be consumed without the need for teeth. A food for the tongue, its chill ensures that the lips dig into it rather than the sensitive central incisors. The new engineered softness of this ice cream was enhanced by an automated smoothness, a uniform consistency unblemished by ice crystals or hardened centres or traces of solid ingredients. 
These are properties not shared with traditional ice cream, and so this new, exciting material needed a modern name. The words ice cream are both recipe and description. They outline the key ingredients of the food and the process by which one is applied to the other, i.e. cream is frozen or iced. At one stage, ice cream was just that, iced cream, the D now lost in pronunciation. This new air-filled ice cream has since gone by many names. In the UK, it's most well known as the vaguely sadomasochistic Mr Whippy, referring to individual vendors operating from vans, or as 99. Do you want a break in that, love? The source of the name 99 is a matter of some dispute. The term is first listed by Cadbury's as early as the 1930s, and while they and the OED state that the origin of the name is simply unknown, many theories are mooted online. Some claim it was a Scottish confectioner, Rudy Arcari, working in an ice cream shop on 99 Portobello High Street who invented it. Others say it's a reference to the coiled spiral shape the cream forms in the cone, like a nine, or even a nod to the version of the number represented in Roman numerals. 99, written as I-C. Around the globe, the stuff is known simply as soft ice cream, soft cream, or sometimes, somewhat ominously, machine ice cream. As if perhaps it is made not just by robots, but for them. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Murphy! They have Mr. Softy ice cream? Remember when the ice cream man used to come to town when you was little? And no matter what you was doing, you would stop and lose your fucking mind? There's something about the ice cream truck that make kids lose it. And they can hear that shit from ten blocks away. They don't hear their mother calling them, but they hear that motherfucking ice cream truck. And no matter what was going on, the ice cream man came and stopped. You'd be getting some marbles and shit, and you hear... Ice cream! In the USA, this ice cream acquired a name that seems to embody the values of the fast food dining culture that it grew up alongside. Soft serve describes many things at the same time. The comforting squashiness of the material, the winding frictionless motion with which it is deployed, and the actual nature of service, the idea that this is an object revealed and prepared just for you, and of which you are the fortunate recipient. A beneficiary. Employing serve as some sort of active noun instills the concept of consumer service within the edible product itself. Soft serve isn't just a dessert, it's a fully rounded consumer experience. The serve, and of course the softness of the serve, the release of the foam, the formation of perfect corrugated layers is as important, even perhaps more important, than the taste. It's almost as if the point of the product is simply to watch it emerge. The name is evocative of a particularly American approach towards consumer courtesy, one of cheerful duty and branded headgear, of scripted greetings, free refills, of excess. 
It is this service that customers pay for, and soft serve simply makes that explicit. After all, much of the stuff they're actually purchasing is air, important of course, but a substance traditionally consumed free of charge. When you buy soft serve ice cream, you pay not for the air itself, but for the pneumatic properties it bestows, a lightness, whiteness and purity. Soft serve is coloured like plastic, a chemical, sterile starkness. It ignores the pastel palette of ice cream parlours and instead presents a blank surface onto which embellishments can be scattered. The light foam of soft serve is designed to bear a colourful variety of pulviscular toppings, sprinkles, flakes and powders. These adornments are too small to be eaten individually and so have a symbiotic connection to ice cream, providing colour and texture in return for mass and support. American sprinkles, like soft serve, are named after a tumbling physicality, whilst in the UK, hundreds and thousands are defined by their multitude, by a vague estimation of their number, as opposed to the slug-like singularity of the cream. Soft serve itself appears almost magically infinite. A tub of ice cream is a measurement, the amount of ice cream the tub in question can contain. Soft serve appears to flow alarmingly freely from a tap, on demand. Hold the lever down and it will just keep coming and coming, coiling upon itself. It is deployed in gleeful abundance, the vendor having perfected a sculpting technique to allow as much of the serve as possible to fatly squat on the cone without unbalancing and tipping sideways. Of course, the reserves within the machine are exhaustible, but there is magic in witnessing a substance seemingly created in front of you. The hungry eyes of customers watch the preparation of the product. The service is a performance and one that is learned and perfected by those who sell it. Controlling the cascading foam and still completing cones quickly is essential, and the server must emulate the speed and efficiency of the machine from which the ice cream spurts. Set on the 28th of June 2007, the current speed record is held by one Mitch Cohen of the USA, who made 19 soft-serve cones in a minute. The speed of this gushing substance is maniacal. Like a liquid I see in a nightmare, when all its properties are animated by a sort of life and turn against me. Jean-Paul Sartre continues, A slimy substance, he writes, draws itself out, it displays itself, it flattens itself out, it is soft, touch the slimy and it does not flee, it yields. Soft serve exists between the states of solid and liquid, but its lightness and foaminess prevent it from exhibiting some behaviours Sartre finds troubling in other viscous flowing materials. Soft serve doesn't conform to these anticipated movements of the viscous and the slimy. Instead, it gathers like falling rope. It lacks the weight required to collapse and assimilate immediately, and remains for a time whipped, held up. As eaters, we are protected from engaging with this cold gossamer with our hands, as the soft serve is wound into a cone or wafer, equally as light, though fine, brittle and dry. When it comes to food, then, we are loath to touch the sticky, clinging substances, and doing so is childlike or debauched. 
Physical contact with such substances represent a commitment. As Sartre explains, softness is leech-like. I want to let go of the slimy, but it sticks to me, it draws at me, it sucks at me. The edible utensil of the cone prevents us from becoming coated in soft serve, prevents the warmth of our skin from hastening its thawing, or our grasp destroying its crenulated form. The assumed etiquette of eating ice cream from a cone has been recently subverted on the internet. In the summer of 2012, a craze known as coning grew popular in the USA. The fad involves installing a video camera in the passenger seat of a car before heading to the drive through station at a fast food restaurant. Here the driver orders one or two soft serve ice cream cones and heads to the service hatch to collect them. As a baseball capped member of staff presents the ice cream, anticipating a careful, awkward handover, the driver grabs it roughly not by the cone but by the soft cream itself. The stuff spills over the hands of the driver and server, oozes in between their fingers and flops onto the floor. As the server stands bewildered, the Kona quickly deposits whatever is left of the ice cream into his or her mouth before driving away. The aim of coning is to capture an expression of surprise and confusion from the hatch attendant as you glide away, remaining apparently nonplussed at the cream dripping from your hands and chin, now also smeared on your steering wheel. Sartre himself might have even been a fan had he tried it. The softness of this substance, which is squashed in my hands, he writes, gives me the impression that I am perpetually destroying it. These soft foods are typically treated with a reverence and a care. Once bent out of shape, they will not restore their form, rather they carry any impressions with them. The quill-shaped, soft-serve coil is an archetype of this docile delicacy, made to be tended to by the tongue rather than manhandled by fingers. Softness, though, is about resistance, about give, it seems to be, in forms other than ice cream, a sensation experienced by hands, a quality defined by malleability. In some foods, the speed of recovery is important, the pace with which a substance returns to its original shape supposedly dictates its quality. I'm a happy knocker upper and I'm popular beside, cause I wake up with a cup of and tasty mother's pride. Dusty Springfield first featured in a Mother's Pride bread advertisement in 1969. In it she plays a merry singing knocker-upper, a person employed in parts of England right up until the 20s to go around waking up neighbourhoods for work before reliable alarm clocks were affordable. Fantastic Mother's Pride! She is delivering bread to the yawning tenants of a working-class street. The delicious, freshly wrapped bread causes everyone to leap out of bed and head out to work, and as they all scurry off down the road, Dusty grins at the camera and gives a loaf a good squeeze. 
It was a gesture that was to become ubiquitous with the promotion of bread, supporting the notion that such squashy resilience somehow denotes goodness. For the 1970s, Mother's Pride dropped Dusty from their adverts, replacing her with a stout, fierce-looking woman known simply as Mother, who terrifies bakers by charging into their shops unannounced, brandishing a rolling pin. She then demands Lowe's be surrendered to her to be judged via squeezing. People have now been groping bread on television for the best part of 50 years, but why? Isn't bread, at least in Western Europe, supposed to be a combination of textures, a firm, chewy outer layer of crust protecting a softer dough inside? Surely the taste of this hardened shell and the crunch of cutting into it are integral parts of what makes bread so appealing. Not, it would seem, according to Premier Foods, the conglomerate who now own Mother's Pride as well as the nostalgia-obsessed Hovis. Both companies routinely show their bread being fondled in advertisements, almost always through the branded bag in which each loaf is contained. Perhaps the bread squeeze is a gesture made towards authenticity, an attempt to instill a sense of freshness and edibility in a mass-produced product. Softness in these loaves of bread signifies newness and freshness. Hard bread is old, unwanted bread. Just like soft serve, the softness of bread assures us that it cannot be old. If soft serve is left to age, then it melts away, whilst bread dries and hardens. The right softness confirms that, as consumers, we are engaging with these transient substances whilst they are ripe and in their prime states. Also, stale old bread doesn't actually look any different from new, fresh bread, so an easy way to show loaf freshness on television is to have someone demonstrate it physically with a firm squeeze. The bread squeeze is now a curious advertising cliché, much like the cheese pull in pizza adverts, a manoeuvre apparently so crucial that a cheese pull specialist is called in to advert shoots to ensure that melted cheese stretches and snaps correctly when a slice is lifted. Similar clichés include the clear blue liquid used to illustrate menstrual pad absorbency, often bizarrely seen cascading from a great height as if sanitary towels are worn around the ankles. So pervasive is the bread squeezing action that people now perform it themselves. If the bread squeeze, as we have been led to believe, is a measure of freshness and quality, then it seems obvious that we should do it too whilst out shopping, lest we purchase substandard bread. Like a peach, this mass-produced bread needs to be prodded before it is bought. However, peaches sit comfortably in our hands, whereas a loaf of bread is a fleshier, more corporeal object. In 1997, a number of supermarket owners in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, started to notice that some of their loaves of sliced, wrapped bread were looking squashed and bent out of shape on the shelves. Over the years, the problem worsened, with loaves consistently deformed, their bags puckered with holes, and even logs of cookie dough were punctured and crushed. By 1999, the distributors were accusing each other of sabotage, burdened with piles of unsaleable bread. That is, 
until one of them rigged some extra surveillance cameras to watch over the baked goods aisles. These cameras provided an explanation for the bent produce, when they eventually captured the odd behaviour of a 37-year-old man named Samuel Feldman. It emerged that for three years, Feldman had been a pathological bread squeezer, silently moving between groceries and supermarkets, leaving behind a trail of doughy destruction. In January 2000, after his conduct had been monitored for several weeks, Feldman was arrested and charged with $8,000 in damages to baked goods, having squeezed over 3,000 loaves of bread, 227 bags of potato dinner rolls and 175 bags of bagels. His lawyer insisted that the accused was just a careful, considerate shopper, but this line of defence proved to be as easily dented as Feldman's manhandled loaves, and he was convicted of a criminal mischief, fined $500 and put on probation. At his hearing, he admitted the obvious. I do touch too much bread, he said. Yes, more than the next person. He promised only to go shopping under his wife's supervision. There is at least a hint of sexual deviance in Feldman's confession. He clearly felt some sort of compulsion towards bread molesting, despite showing no signs of obsessive mental illness. Something in this bread squeeze action is perhaps seductive. The softness and resilience is indulgent and luxurious, not totally unlike human flesh, breasts, buttocks and thighs. Sartre writes of the soft and the slimy as unpredictable alien substances, autonomous material that is entirely other, stuff from which we must fight to unglue ourselves. But the bread squeeze is a somatic gesture, and in fact soft substances remind us of ourselves, our flesh, our fluids, our solids. The scatological surging of soft serve and the palpable squishiness of processed bread both suggest bodies. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. You've been listening to Car. Check out more episodes at www.listentocar.co.uk. Beware of the blob, it creeps.